And so Cardinal Squeaky is set to be canonized at SeaWorld this Friday. Top of the hour now, here are your headlines. In his State of the Union this Tuesday, President Trump called for Democrats and Republicans to work together to find common ground and serve the people that elected them. Closed captioning across the country translated this speech to Spanish or English from the president's native tongue, horseshit. Amazon has narrowed its list of potential second headquarters to 20 cities, but with a subscription to Amazon Prime, you can get that down to just two cities. Teenagers have been ingesting Tide laundry detergent pods and posting the results to YouTube, calling the act the Tide Pod Challenge. The ill-advised stunt does have one positive side, vomit stains that clean themselves. This Sunday, Tom Brady's Patriots will face off against Nick Foles and the Philadelphia Eagles in Super Bowl 52. So once again, Americans will either be rooting for an old man who's a known cheater or somebody who deserves to win but won't. German car makers have admitted to using monkeys to test the effects of inhaling diesel fumes. This news has led one of our reporters to investigate just how monkeys have been used throughout history to advance science and technology. We go to Tom Thompson for the story. It's a crisp day in Cambridge, Massachusetts as I walk up the steps of the MIT School of Science. I've come today to meet with Professor Mitchell Addison, head of the research labs, to ask him about the relationship between the scientific community and monkeys. Oh, scientists love using primates to conduct research. Most people think of the infamous chimpanzees and the space program, but what about the Wright brothers? They strapped the monkeys to all of their contraptions. Or how about Isaac Newton? He dropped a monkey out of that tree before trying it with an apple. Don't believe for a second that a bunch of astronauts were the first ones to ponder. I wonder what would happen if we did this to a monkey. How far back does this technique go? Hmm, who can really say? Some scientist at one point looked at a monkey and thought, Hey, that sort of looks like me. I bet I could use that thing to test stuff. And now it's ingrained in the process. The monkey test is an unofficial part of the scientific method. It goes hypothesis, experiment, observation, throw monkeys at it, theory. Must research conducted includes a quote-unquote monkey test as part of the process? Sure. Freud put monkeys on his couch before ever analyzing humans. Before Schrodinger's cat, Schrodinger's monkey. Even Einstein sent a monkey back in time before theorizing on the fabric of space. Why doesn't the public know more about the monkey test? It is always not so glamorous. Those pretty boys over at the Nobel Committee don't really want you to see the dark side of science because the monkey test, well, it usually ends up with a lot of dead monkeys. Still, this practice is far-reaching and not just in scientific research. You look into any industry, I bet you'll find the monkey test somewhere in their R&D. So I went to an industry about as far removed from science as I could, the entertainment industry. I met with someone who had worked on movie sets for over 40 years, career camera assistant Bert Gleason. Sure, we use monkeys all the time. Every movie I ever worked on shot all of our camera and lighting tests with a cast full of monkeys. It was the only way to make sure the movie is going to work before paying some high-dollar actors. And what do you mean by camera and lighting tests? 
Ah, well, we do these real big setups, you see. You don't want to make sure the director liked the look. And, and a lot of times, we just end up shooting basically the whole movie by the time we were done, only with monkeys instead of peoples. Are there prints of all monkey versions of famous Hollywood movies? Well, a lot of them weren't stored properly and were destroyed. But yeah, they're all monkey versions of the greats. Uh, Gone with the Wind, Dr. Strangelove, Last Tango in Paris. I even worked on the all-monkey version of Planet of the Apes. Watching a monkey dressed as Charlton Heston acting alongside a monkey dressed as an ape dressed as a human, well... That'll cook your noodle. I was learning a lot, but I still hadn't seen the monkey test in action. That's when a source close to this story put me in touch with Wilfred Meyerson, the head of research at Gatorade. And I was invited to see a monkey test on a scale that nothing could have prepared me for. We met at the Florida University football stadium. It's a big day for us. We got a massive product launch later this year, a complete flavor overhaul. So this test will show us just how all our consumers, athletes, fans, and even casual buyers will respond to our new flavors. There are so many monkeys. Impressive, no? It's a full-scale monkey test across all platforms to simulate a real football game where our products will be consumed by athletes and fans and even advertised to viewers. There must be... 50,000 monkeys here! Oh yeah! You got monkey football players, monkey coaches, monkey owners, there's monkey cheerleaders down there, there's a monkey marching band, monkey fans! Those aren't fans of monkeys, those are actual monkeys that are fans of the game! We got a monkey press corps and they're gonna ask all kinds of monkey questions to our athletes after the match there. There's uh, monkey corporate entities and they're renting out the boxes. We got monkey concession workers and a monkey banana vendor. And we're even, we're even broadcasting the homes across America that are filled with monkey families and their monkey friends and they're watching the big monkey game. And what do you expect to learn from a test of this scale? Usually the results are inconclusive. Clearly, the use of the monkey test is widespread and shows no signs of slowing down. No, 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 watch the blitz, you tiny human! For NPR News, this has been Tom Thompson. Thanks, Tom. You still owe me for lunch. Moving on to our human segment tonight, what is it like to write a speech for the president? Well, nobody better to answer that question than longtime presidential speechwriter Dale Finson, whose new book, Speech for the Sky, hits stores this week. Dale, thanks for joining us. It's inubrious in here. Hmm, inubrious. I didn't know that was a word. Dale, how many presidents have you written speeches for? Oh, six in total. Two Bushes and four Obamas. And each one was more eloquial than the last. So, two presidents. Writing a speech for a president is much like preparing a cake. First, you start with the flour. That's policy and patriotism. And then you add the frosting, some sprinkles, and you top it off with a smattering of butter and thrust it into the toaster. Uh, it doesn't sound like you know how to bake a cake. Bake? Who do you consider to be history's best speaking president? Oh, JFK was a true Jabberjaw. He could spring pronouns like an abbreviated Bible story. It takes a keen knowledge of the English language to verbulate like he, a real wordler. Oh, I'm, I'm noticing you're quite the wordler yourself. 
what is one speech that you're most proud of? Obama's second State of the Union. It was a time of much perfunctory in America. And to emphasize the president's divagism, we had a congressman speak up from the galley. You're referring to when Congressman Wilson yelled, you lie at the president. So that was staged? Oh, absolutely it was. We felt it really captured the blandangory of the country's flogrance. Uh, I, I know I don't have the grasp of the English language that you do, but... Floggerance? Absolutely. The nation in 2009 was a different place. There were flogs and grapples blandizing our country's bigditude, and it was Obama's State of the Union that quelled any snacktationalism. I'm, I'm sorry, snacktationalism? Is that even a word? Well, I should say so. It doesn't have a red squiggle when you type it. All right, uh, fair enough. Well, uh, what, if any, advice would you give Donald Donald Trump's current speechwriter. A president's job is to lead from ahead, not behind. His speechwriter should flopple, squib, dongbass, jiff, and purg. Always purg. Only then can he... Ah, what's the word? Uh, co compromise? No, not compromise. Postulate. I should think not. Um, okay, flicky... Dong. Oh, my word flaps absolutely. That's the one. All right. Well, I literally just made that word up. Thank you for joining us, Mr. Finson. Up next, what does it take to host a surprise party? The answer may surprise you. <laughs>